0: Ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Wampa Radio. Uh the, the crew is growing, but this is a podcast focusing on Star Wars Unlimited, the TCG. But you know us, we're gonna we're gonna get off topic just a little bit.
1: Yes, of course. But before we do, we do uh, intend at least to dig into the headline strategies, the discussion points that you want to hear about from the world of Star Wars card gaming. Yeah, and
2: for today's episode, we're going to look at what happened at Gen Con. I'm going to recap my own personal experiences there as well. We're also kind of going to talk about how Star Wars Unlimited is going to be positioned kind of coming out of that weekend because the launch is next year, and you may have noticed, but there's a bunch of other card games launching as well. But before we get into the headlines, and honestly, before we get off topic, we should probably cover the Wampa Cave Poll of the Week.
0: All right, so the cave poll of the week this time. I mean, there's Gen Con. There's all kinds of cool stuff going on. Uh, card games aplenty, as I think you, was it you, Doa? You mentioned we're like in
1: a new golden age. I've said that a couple times lately, yeah, in social media and stuff. And I, I believe it, too. As someone who lived through the last golden age of TCGs, which I consider to be like the late 90s to early 2000s, like this is, this is the new one where we've got tons of games coming out. Many of them are good games. There's a ton of organized play support a lot of stores around to play at so yeah it's uh, i'm having more fun with card games right now than i have in like the last 15 years it's been a while since we've had this many
0: options, and it's not just about yeah. options because, like, you talk about the the old school golden age, uh Doa being the '90s or whatever. Charmer, we were all around during that time. How many times did you go to a card store and be like, "Oh, there's like a, a Austin Powers CCG I can play now"? It's <laughs> oh, no. like it was whatever. It, it was yeah. cu- it was akin to like you know when McDonald's whatever movie was out would have toys relating to that movie. There was the same mm-hmm. kind of association. What was that? Just before we get into the poll, what was the the weirdest ccg from like that other era that you've ever oh, witnessed
1: man. uh so all right so uh so i'm a christian man and my parents Ooh. wanted i i played magic the gathering uh you know what i'm going to talk I about i know what you're going to talk I about you know what too. Too. Well, yeah. so, i do <laughs> i, I played magic the, thing the gathering in now. star wars back then the old decipher game and uh but my parents were like hey we found this this uh this christian card game for you Here you go, and it it was called Resurrection, or uh, why am I blanking on the name of it right now? But it was meant to be sort of a a Christian alternative competitor to magic and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Redemption. Redemption. That's what it was. I knew it started with an R. And uh, and the art was pretty good for the game, actually. Overall, it was it well, it ranged from comically bad to mostly pretty good. I thought it was mostly pretty good. The game was like. Very mediocre to kind of subpar, but that's just how big the card game craze was that you even had like that segment of, of society making a card game to try to compete and all that. So, my parents bought us a bunch of that, and uh, that was that was surprising. And the thing is, I was looking this up recently because I've been collecting sealed stuff from old TCGs, so I had to get some of that, obviously, I had <laughs> to get some redemption. Um, and they are still making the game. They still release expansions to this day, which makes Redemption, I believe, the longest-running card game still going outside of Magic: The Gathering, Dude, which because it, it predates Pokemon even. It's but, it's incredible. Yeah.
0: They talk about the Big Three. Yeah. it's frankly the Trinity should include Redemption at this rate.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, it's I agree. the Holy Ghost of the, the Holy big Trinity three. <laughs> of uh, of uh, the, uh, a ghost in, in that uh, not many people know it's there. Do you so, do you yeah. know who but, is, that is huge? Amazing.
0: Huge, huge, huge into redemption, by the way. Ooh. Keith, the owner of Realm Games, used to be the, I believe, the national champion for redemption uh when he was growing wow. up. Incredible. That
1: explains so I mean, much. It was not it was not a terrible game. It was not a great game, but it was not absolutely unplayable like some of the other ones that came out. Um but uh that is that is amazing. I'm sure it was better than the Austin Powers card game. Although I never played, never that. touched it. Oh, no. never no.
0: touched it. I just found out recently that uh, the dude who played Random Task uh, went to prison for kidnapping and murder.
1: Oh, I think I read that one point. Yeah, well, we're going way back here. Yeah, in we're time, going. Now we're but, off the rails. Charmer, yeah.
0: the most obscure, but, weird one. You got to have. Uh, so we got Redemption. We got Austin Powers.
2: Redemption. Uh, so like Redemption actually might be it. I. I played it because when I was a a young child and my parents were divorced, my uh, abusive alcoholic father would sometimes still have control of my well-being. And I was like, hey, I like card games. Take me to buy some magic cards. And he (coughs) took me in and he looked around and then we left and he told me that it was, you know, Satan worshiping because he saw the pentagram on a revised and holy strength. Oh. And so uh that's how redemption entered my life and I it was it's so funny like I'd almost repressed it until you said something doa and now I'm like getting flashbacks oh, wow. because you're right like there was uh like semi decent art uh the the card game was not good uh, I just looked it up and I don't know why I'm not playing this game because it's got <laughs> puns there's a a card life in the sun but the sun oh. is S-O-N because it's life in Jesus. Oh, yeah, there you go. Life in the sun. Yeah. So I probably should well, be playing this. Um, outside of, of that, things, I'm one of the okay. few people uh, I know that actually had a chance to play Wyvern before Wizards of the Coast shut that down. So that one might be the, the most obscure. A lot of times when I talk about old games that I enjoyed, when I bring up Rage, a lot of people look at me like, oh, yeah. what is that? But that was yep, a werewolf I game. I, I just really liked the art, and I liked werewolves when I was that age. Like, it was... Uh, I think it was like twelve or thirteen. It was the perfect timing for me to get really into that. Um, I still stand by the Alien versus Predator was a lot of fun uh, mechanically because everything was asymmetrical as far as wind conditions go and and they did a good job there. I played the Harry Potter game that a lot of people forget was even a thing. It was just really that. bad magic. Uh, the gathering so like instead of you know islands and swamps and whatever you had books and then you had your different characters specialized in different teachings from Hogwarts right so you know Hermione was a, a potions person and, and so on and so forth mm.
1: um, the first yeah, alchemist I...
2: <laughs> yeah for, first alchemist sure so yeah I mean as far as like the most obscure one that I have probably played it's Wyvern just because that one had a very short lifespan if if you don't know what I'm talking about this was like the other game that was coming out at the same time as Magic the Gathering and they got bought out there's actually more to the
1: story uh but it yeah, has been shared with me in confidence so, <laughs> so I will it's just a say a that they got out. yeah I have a sealed box of uh wyvern boosters actually at, uh, wow yeah that was one of my one I- of the pieces I picked up for my collection yeah that's like a piece of history yeah we, yeah, we pretty should interesting mechanics too in that game
0: we should have like just a, an episode one day where we just dig into our treasure troves of collections and such because i know that between all of us we probably have just random odds and ends here and there, whether it's sealed or not. But the most important element here is the Star Wars aspect of the of old yes. card games. So let's give you the results here for the cave poll. And I want to get your uh, what you voted for and your thoughts on it. The cave poll was, what is your favorite legacy Star Wars card game? As in a defunct, now no longer being printed Star Wars card game. Again, because of the uh, limitations of the CEO of whatever company it's called right now, we can only put four options up there. Star Wars CCG by Decipher, Young Jedi also by Decipher, Fantasy Flight Games' is Star Wars Destiny, as well as uh, Wizards of the Coast gave a shot at Star Wars TCG, the winner by uh, Leaps and Bounds, which I have absolutely no... Again, uh, somebody commented that the results of this poll uh, are merely indicative of the fact that not enough people have played Star Wars CCG for it by Decipher, but... 52, <laughs> 54.2% wow. say Star Wars Destiny, 32.2% say Star Wars CCG by Decipher, 13.6% on Star Wars TCG by WotC, and a f- big, fat, solid zero freaking percent <laughs> by the bastard stepchild of all Star Wars card games, apparently, Young Jedi, and I'm gonna go first with you, Doa, because I voted for Star Wars CCG, I don't think there was any any uh secret to that uh where where did you lean on
1: this poll i mean first of all i think it's hilarious that young jedi Jedi has no votes because of (laughs) course anyone who would vote for a decipher star wars card game over the other options would always go ccg you would never go young jedi it was like you know it was like the kids version of the ccg kind of it was just kind of a worse version of, of the better game you know um but uh I, I picked Star Wars CCG obviously like I competed in that way back when I absolutely still I still play the game. I absolutely love it. Um I never played Destiny because during the years that that was big, I lived in Korea and there wasn't really access to any of those cards and there wasn't really a scene for it over there um and so that that one I completely missed. So it was just kind of a default to a Star Wars CCG and then Obviously, I have lots of anger towards the uh, Wizards' uh, Star Wars CCG, or really, we should say the Hasbro one, honestly, because that's who bought the rights away and and ended the beautiful, wonderful Cadillac of CCGs, the Decipher Star Wars CCG. So, easy one for me, yeah. Charmer,
0: please, please, like, I I just want to also mention that in the comments, there were, there were multiple requests for, like, the living card game. Uh, So, yeah so frankly Mm. to be fair young jedi is not fourth it's fifth
2: that that is probably fair i will say that that might have also just been a a wording error on our part because in my mind this was a poll of specifically like the collectible slash trading card game options which is why i think Mm -hmm. young jedi is included over the living card game because even i I enjoyed the lcg over young jedi it just lcgs don't feel the same as like true collectible card games to me right so it, it would have felt weird including it on the poll uh, i voted for decipher i have a feeling that us three are the reason that decipher even has rep- representation but uh be. i i just i i fell in love with the decipher game hard when i was playing it and it's such a good experience and so it's hard for me not to vote for that uh, i only played a little bit of destiny like i I played it, but I wasn't competitive and wasn't, like, chasing cards. It was just more like a casual experience. And so I didn't dislike Destiny by any stretch, but I don't have nearly the same, like, fond memories that I do of Decipher. Decipher was not just a great game, but I have so many good memories of, like, the people in my life during that time where we would spend hours, you know, late into the evening playing just absurd games where you know you've got locations stretching across two tables that you had to push together and there's no other game that really gives me that kind of same experience
1: there's no other game that's captured the essence of the fantasy of the universe of the game like that game has you you know every deck you build in that game you feel like you're living out an actual part of the star wars fantasy in a way that's like never been captured before and i don't know will ever be truly captured in that way again so it really was something special but i do have to say i think this poll is slightly tainted as well in that and i i'm sorry flake it's tainted because the thing is most of the people like us that loved the star wars decipher ccg um probably aren't using twitter really (laughs) <laughs> unless they have like a really good reason to for their jobs and all the kinds of stuff. I feel like pe- generally people our age are kind of avoiding social media unless they have to engage with it. So there's probably a lot of people that would have voted for it, but just aren't on that, you know, well, and good for them, because I don't want to be on it either. But here we are.
0: I'm still waiting for the replies, to, because I did put this poll out from the Del Boca Vista newsletter, and it's a mail-in vote. <laughs> so people of wow, our age, go. yes. Uh, uh, work. Yeah, because I would suspect that once those mail-in ballots do get in uh, from the the depths of Florida retirement homes, uh, <laughs> that these bump, these Star Wars CCG numbers will get nice and propped up. But that Destiny is, is like,
1: stop the count, stop the count. <laughs> Oh, wait, yeah. wait. Don't count I the think, mail-in ones. I think
2: I hear my fax machine going off. I think another is <laughs> coming in. Yeah
0: if, you voted by, ask Jeeves. yeah, if you voted by 56K modem, we know who you voted for. <laughs> you don't even have to tell us. Uh, but yeah, talking about the actual spirit of the game and, and moving forward with capturing the essence of what Star Wars is, there's a, a, a slew of new cards that came up, but we're not going to get there yet. We want to hit the headlines. Of first, you were there, Charmer. You were at Gen Con in the trenches. Is tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, very briefly what the vibe was, what we got out of Gen Con uh, for Star Wars U.
2: Okay, this is going to be difficult because you said the words very briefly, so I will try to do this as fast as I, well, as I can the, so that we main, can talk about it. The main but, topic
0: of the discussion is is going to be a little bit of a Gen Con, so just hit us with some of the bullet yeah. points. Uh
2: As far as layout goes, they had a setup that was in the primary like exhibit hall, as well as a very large area carved out in the event hall as well. The event hall is where folks who had filled out the stuff ahead of time to get your like time slot for a demo, they were doing it there. And then they were also accepting walk-up demos in the exhibit hall. Uh, Every time I walked past either area, they were essentially packed. And despite that, my son still played 27 games of Star Wars over the weekend uh, nice. because he fell in love with it. So he, you know, he's 10 years old. It was his first Gen Con. He tried a bunch of different games and no game captured him like Star Wars. And this was not my doing. I, I told him we can do whatever you want. It's your first Gen Con. And he was like, I just want to go back and play Star Wars. So hmm. right out of the gate, I think it was very well received. It wasn't just my son. I saw several people that were... uh you know, going through the line twice over the course of the weekend. Uh, Another bit is I ran into some some old friends. So there's a gentleman by the name of Jason who was a competitive player for the Elder Scrolls Legends, and then he later joined the dev team for that card game. He currently works as a game studio. He was actually at Gen Con to pitch uh, a series of games with his partner to different studios to see if he can get them published. And when I ran into him, we caught up for a bit, and I said, you know, hey, have you tried Star Wars Unlimited? He said, no, I said, I think you'll really like it because, you know, it gives me a lot of those old Tesla vibes. And he on Twitter said, you know, I tried it based on your recommendation. And uh, he said it was the best, like, first impression he's had for a card game in in an incredibly long time. Um, Like his, his description was everything that I was hoping that it would be, but it was just refreshing that somebody like him that has, has that kind of like history with card games that it clicked for him the same way that it clicked for me. So uh, that was really refreshing to hear as well. Uh, The other things that I want to try to cover kind of quick is that uh, the folks from fantasy flight games there had uh, a big presence in terms of personnel. It wasn't just like they had a couple of people show up. They had, you know, multiple members of the uh, SWU, Dev team, are we
1: going to call this SWU for short? No, no, we're not. All right, I mean, it's uh, it's, Star Wars U sounds like a university though, too. I'd go there. I'd go there. It's tough, you know.
2: Uh, So, you know, like I said, uh, multiple people from the dev team for SWU. (laughs) You're welcome, Flake. Just go. We're there. How of now? Forever. They were answering questions left and right they were playing the game they were having a great time and then even outside of that like the studio head was there and their product lead guy was there and I had a wonderful uh, interview with uh, Josh uh, Massey who is their head of organized play and everybody was just really excited and it was infectious like that's the best way I know how to describe it they it wasn't like hey this is a job thing like this was it had that feeling of this was their baby and they were finally getting the chance to like show it to the world. And they were kind of giddy with that excitement of we finally get to get the feedback and get it in people's hands. And it went incredibly well. I learned a lot from my interview with Josh and I also got to see in person some of the game genic products as well that I know that we're going to talk about in a bit, but I will just say that they are every bit as impressive in person as they look like in any of the photos or videos that people have seen. So uh, that was great. It was just it was very positive on all fronts. My experience was positive, but it was also great seeing my son and people I respect and complete strangers all kind of fall in love with it. And it was also very refreshing to actually talk to the folks at FFG and have it feel like they are equally as excited about this game.
0: Beauty, beauty. Cool. Uh, like you mentioned, though, there's uh, other things that were released there, like the game X, Uh partnership of which we found out about last week but we finally got a nice look at them and Doa, your first impressions here of the game GenX
1: product reveal uh, i really like how they use the sort of like mini snap style case to hold your leader that's that's neat it's it's a do you does a little mini snap kind of thing come with it or does it just hold like your standard it comes with it comes with it and the one okay. that it
2: comes with has like this sliding edge thing so that it when it goes in it's very like fitted it's not gonna rattle around
1: too like the, the quality was very good but it comes with it that's that was my only little concern with it is that like if we end up getting to the point where like there are some leader cards that are like very valuable and very collectible you know first of all i mean a lot of people probably wouldn't put them on the outside of their case but you know if they did how easy is it to just like Swipe it out of there, you know, because we've all I hate to say it, but we've all been to card game tournaments where things have disappeared. And so yeah. as a uh, physical card game players, it's something we always have to be kind of aware of. But that, that's you the said it's in there pretty snug, though. That's the uh, that's the Yu-Gi-Oh winning in strategy, uh,
0: which is basically steal <laughs> your opponent's uh, opponent's deck. It's happened, uh, but yeah, that's yeah. that was a concern. The fact that the snap is part of it, and now they've shown like here's a heroism, here's a villainy version. There's going to be a uh, there's going to be a vigilance version as well of one for each aspect. So much like Magic. Uh, it looks like you, son of a bitch, swoo uh, is now <laughs> really digging into the color pie that Magic is very known for, and has really is really sort of tapping into the identity of uh, and the 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 connection that players will have with particular playstyles. Which leads into the article that they printed about specifically vigilance. Because last week they had an article, I believe it was about uh, heroism and versus villainy. And where those differ and how these are two special aspects. But now they released an article discussing vigilance. And basically, uh, you can go check out the Star Wars Unlimited website for the full article. But it basically digs into the fact that vigilance is a aspect that is very centric, centered around and I'm using the terms they use, defense and control, wherein keywords such as sentinel and even restore are going to be very intimately linked with uh, with this. Charmer, your thoughts on... I mean, I like it. I like the fact that they're really taking uh, taking stock in the fact that players are probably going to be like, well, I'm a blue-black player. I'm a Demir player from Magic, and trying to tap into that kind of... that ideology and pe- how people adhere to particular ideologies... And from the get-go, they're just like, it's already baked in. Like, if you want to be a control player, you're going to be playing vigilance-related things. Uh, do you like this and, and how they're already, you know, establishing this themselves in this kind of stuff?
2: So, myself, I really do like it because it's going to, again, kind of be familiar for people coming from other card games. I think that's actually one of the beautiful things about this game is that if you've played any other card game before, there's probably something in the mechanics and design of this that will ring true to you, you know, whether it's again the initiative system from Artifact, the two lanes from Elder Scrolls Legends, or in this case as you called it the the color pie that we know from Magic is kind of represented with the aspects here. And because this is a leader-centric game and people are going to latch onto an identity, allowing them to also latch onto an aspect identity, I think is also uh really great uh really neat and then it's not just baked into the the game design but it's baked into the products as well you can tell they're leaning into it because those game genic boxes if uh you haven't seen the photos they are the colors of the aspects and they even go so far as to have uh the aspect symbol on the boxes so like i Hmm. sent flake uh, a picture of the black one but you can see on the top that it's also got the villainy aspect right And to go a step further, when I was there, they had told me that all of the deck boxes are designed with at least three pieces, whether it's the drawer, the top or the box itself. And that was on purpose, because if you are playing a tricolor deck and you want to mix and match, you can have all three colors of your deck represented with those products. So they already are leaning very heavy into whatever way you want to combine your aspects and, you know, have that player expression. It's going to be available. So from card design, I like it because uh, we had a conversation before we started recording where Doa said, hey, I don't like blue and magic. I know what color to avoid here. <laughs> Great. That still lets you kind of pick a
1: lane and go with what works for you. So I I dig it. Yeah, well, a little bit of a spoiler about my opinion about vigilance, but uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I'm glad that we, this archetype needs to exist in, in every card game. You need to have the more defensive archetype that likes to be slow and plodding and fatigue the opponent out. Like that, that play style needs to exist in every card game for it to be a good card game. I just have never preferred to play that way. I like aggressive things, I like tempo y kind of things um and so i could see splashing blue you know into a deck here and there i'm sure there's some vigilance stuff especially if they get deeper into sort of the mill side of things there's a way to play aggressive mill in most card games so if that exists here i could see myself giving it a shot but yeah for the most part like uh, the the sword defensive style of play is is not as much my thing so but yeah like you said i mean there needs to be something for everybody and it's good we've got this archetype kind of already establishing itself a little bit in, uh, in the game. And next month is Command,
0: so we'll wait for that. And now this is where oh. we just the wording of that is like wait till next month uh, and we'll get Command. And that's like three weeks away. And I don't know how I feel about that because that, we will get some like
1: dripped release cards yeah. uh, between now and then, you know, but Keep we've been on life support here.
0: We've been spoiled up till now, given the fact that, yes, we're fully aware that we're still, like, six months removed from the card actually, the game actually getting released is what I'm hopefully, you know, it's like, my hope is, like, January, February, but still, yeah, I get it. We're, we need the slow drip. We, they kind of have to throttle back. Gen Con's over. We need to kind of pace ourselves, but.
1: Hey, uh, get out there for Christmas. Christmas I, presents. Please.
0: On. Yes, exactly. Yes. Do it now. And, and you know Merry what? Christmas for me. Damn right. And you know what? You know what about this, Doha? Is the fact that mm. we all like to do our Christmas shopping in August. So just release it tomorrow.
1: Well, like, Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah.
2: I'm, I'm not going to argue with anybody about wanting it now, like yesterday. Uh, but I do also just want to say, let's put on our uh, our speculation hats. Bear with me, right? Mm-hmm. We just okay. got Vigilance. We know next month we get Command. So let's call that September. So what if we then get uh october is aggression november is cunning we got a primer on heroism and villainy together but i don't think that really explains those factions individually Mm -hmm. so let's say heroism for uh december you know because it's hero time uh villainy for
0: (laughs) you still got redemption on the right. yeah
2: yeah uh well villainy for january and then release february 2024 that's sure. that's my speculation because they've said 2024, but all signs I think point to early 2024. So I'm I'm mm-hmm. gonna hope and pray that they're gonna wait for the holidays to kind of die down and then early February that'll be the release. I, I did not get this info if you're if you're listening to this. This was not something that was told <laughs> to me at Gen Con or anything. This is not Oink. inside info. This is
1: purely speculation, but this is what I'm gonna go with. I think. I mean, I, I would, I, I think everything you said sounds very logically sound. I wouldn't disagree with that. That said, I don't see why you couldn't do two aspects every month and then hit that Christmas release, you know? I mean, to me, from a sales perspective, it sounds like what better way to spend Christmas, you know, with the kids or with your fellow nerds than to play a little bit of swoo around the Christmas tree, right? So, uh, you know, just don't get too close to the fireplace with the paper cards. But aside from that, it sounds like a great uh, sort of Christmas, uh, you know, experience. So I'm still, I mean, but that said, knowing card game releases, if they would have been releasing it this year, we probably would have heard that already. So to be honest, it probably will be early next year if I had to really make an accurate guess. But my, my, my heart of the cards wants it to be this year yet so yeah so so
2: here's my other like piece of hope because they keep saying 2024 is the release and then they don't Mm. give us any more info but if you go to the website it says releasing globally or excuse me launching launching globally 2024 so maybe we'll get a north american launch in december around christmas and then
1: globally will be that wouldn't be outside the norm for what's happened in other games so
0: I'm for it. I mean, we'll sure. Here, you hear, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. This is a Wampa Radio exclusive with all kinds of asterisks and warnings associated with it. The game will be launching yeah. in December. Not actually. Uh, we do have a, a slew of new cards that have uh, trickled out, uh, some of which were uh, from Gen Con, but some of which were as as recent as literally half an hour or an hour ago, we are currently recording this at 7 7.15 p.m. Eastern time on August 9th. So anything that happened after this, we're not, we're not on the hook for it. But let's, let's go through them one at yeah. a time. And we'll start with <laughs> what is now becoming uh, possibly just a meme. Uh, it is Chewbacca with uh, his face looks like a trash compactor. I mean, he is so angry and so... Um uh, we we referred him as Grimace last time, but he is <laughs> he's gone into full Grimace mode. It is the uh, a Chewbacca, a leader unit, ground unit, aspects of uh heroism and vigilance, a seven drop. Uh it'll it has the action of uh tap it, play a unit that costs three or less from your hand while and also paying its cost. It will gain sentinel uh for that particular phase. Uh, the epic hmm. action of when you have seven uh, seven or more resources is to deploy it. It's a 2-9 with grit and sentinel. That grit and that sentinel, Chewbacca is going to be a house and one hell of
1: a uh, something to deal with. Can you give him overwhelm? That's, that's my question. Like, give him overwhelm towards the end, and uh, then you're just sending a ton of damage through no matter what. But this could be that sort of tempo style that uh, I was talking about earlier, the heroism vigilance right where you set up some blockers you play that tempo game where you're trading with your opponent and just kind of getting a bit of damage through here and there and you're the one who always kind of has the board advantage i could see blue white being sort of like that thing if you went more towards the uh, the sentinel side on blue so that's kind of interesting to think about less on the uh, healing side
2: the other bit that jumps out to me about this particular card is that if we get any sort of combo decks that are relying on certain units to stay in play, this gives you a pretty cheap and cost effective way to continue to play weenies that serve as speed bumps to protect your combo pieces, because this is a, you know, board centric game where the attacker chooses targets. So if you put something down and you're trying to set up a combo and you don't have any way to protect it, they're just going to attack whatever that unit is, right? They'll pull it off the board. So just being able to say, "Hey, this card that you know it's meant for my early curve, but I drew it late in the game where it's not as effective, but now I can use my leader to use this as a a
1: protector for some sort of key piece. Like that's a big deal." There's a lot of high health stuff in in blue as well. So like Chewbacca having grit could be sort of an indication that if we have other ways to give things grit, that would be a great involve or a great addition to this deck too, where you have a bunch of sentinels but then also if you don't one-shot them then they're gonna start getting stronger and that's a threat that might come back at you so yeah the more i look at it heroism vigilance might be a kind of a fun combo to play around it's
0: good i like it and it's also yeah. very thematic in the sense that the more you poke chewy the more the more he gets angry <laughs> right and y- true if there if, if there's an upgrade to give this dude overwhelm oh my goodness like you said like this might be one of those situations where at one point he's just had enough he's taken eight damage he's uh, he's a 10 a 10 one and then it's mm-hmm. just full force through the whole uh, the whole aspect of uh,
1: of their defenses and uh, and crush face but huh Next. you can I'm just looking at some of the other oh, sorry I'm just yeah you got me into the theory crafting mode I'm just looking through some of the other like uh cards here too and you could use things like repair to sort of like keep people right in that sweet spot where they've got a good amount of damage from grit but they're still fairly healthy obviously vanquish can get oh. rid of some things so yeah a lot of there, there's the other card so we can use this as a good segue yeah
2: that was revealed which is the 21B surgical droid so this is yeah. a one cost ground unit that's in vigilance got a one three stat line but on attack you may heal two damage from another unit and so if you get to the point where you can deploy your chewbacca right your leader it's got a nine health and sentinel so if you're also then using these tiny droids to continue healing him you are just going to wall off the ground like that is a Mm. massive unit
0: it's gonna be tough to get through uh, especially since there's a lot of these like support units because like a one drop one three is already a little bit difficult to to get off the board, and against like aggression decks that mm-hmm. want to drop cheap high attack uh, characters like the stormtroopers or something, do they really want to trade into a surgical droid or do they want to go face? You know, like that's yeah. that's a, th- a thought process as
1: well. Do we have recursion in this game too, uh, accessible by a uh, white blue or perhaps whatever third you know aspect you could include with the deck like this, and you can have kind of a, a little army of. Uh, recurring uh, droids just behind Chewie just poking him with needles and keeping him angry but also alive <laughs> coming down the corridor at you. That could sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? He does look like yeah. he has the rage of Barry Bonds. I will say, look- You <laughs> don't <laughs> see the surgical droid behind him in that picture. You see Han, but not the droid. Yeah.
0: Right? It's it's actually Jose Canseco just filling him with steroids. Oh, no. <laughs> no. I was
1: just about to say it. it's the 2-1-B steroid droid. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. packs, we like to call them in the StarCraft world. You know?
0: Right, stims. Yeah, I got to give your space marine stims um yeah, there you go lots of vigilance that was revealed including uh, this next unit there's a charmer. some space units
2: yeah so on the space side of things we got a patrol craft so the system patrol craft is a four cost vigilance in the space realm it's a vehicle and fighter with a 3-4 stat line and has the sentinel keyword which might not seem like that big of a deal but based on my playtesting, now granted it was just starter decks, but based on my playtesting at Gen Con, Sentinel in space I think is going to end up being a, a bit harder to come by. And mm. I think that's why this has a weird stat line because paying four for a 3-4 doesn't really feel that good. But I think Sentinel might be coming in a premium. The other reason this card jumps out to me is that that four health survives a TIE Interceptor. And that is also, I think, going to be a really big litmus test once we start getting
1: into the constructed side of things. Fair point. Yeah. Um, And I I believe you can heal across battlegrounds too, right? So for instance, the droid could heal the starship from watching through the playtest stuff. I believe they said you could do that. 'Cause it just says a unit. Yeah. So yeah.
2: yeah. Unless it says another ground unit, then yeah. you can go across. That's that's why the droid is good, but it's also why like Vader is so impressive and Luke is so impressive because right. you know they do damage and shield just a unit.
1: So mm-hmm. And so steep. we assume the ship flies very low, then the droid just like pokes <laughs> it as it goes by. And it. <laughs> just again, now we're now we're going
0: back to the fact of like we're talking <laughs> about this thematic and the weird stuff that you can do in Star Wars CCG, and like Charmer, you're mentioning about training a Jawa to become a Jedi Knight. I put a Jawa <laughs> through a trench run to bring down. Like now we're we're doing these low low altitude flybys so they can get these stereo <laughs> steroid. Yeah, detects. makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, Vader had a pretty sweet ride, duh. And I think that's our next one.
1: He did, yeah. The, the TIE Advanced. Technically not Vader's TIE Advanced X1. There, That's a different ship. But this is the model of ship that he pri- piloted. I think it was the supposed to be the prototype. But anyway, uh, it is. it does seem fairly strong. It's got that three power, which I think the Interceptors you said had three power as well. I don't have all the cards memorized quite yet. But giving two experience tokens to other friendly Imperial units... Is quite strong because uh, that's the plus one plus one counters. You can put that on space stuff. You can put that on ground stuff because again, it's just a unit. So you can kind of cross over that way. Um, the pr- people on the ground can just be inspired by this cool ship flying over them and then just gain experience from that. And uh, yeah, so it seems seems strong. Four is four again. If we're talking about the stat line that you mentioned earlier, charmer four for three two seems pricey, but that it, you do have another. 2-2 two, two of power to yeah i was about it, so. to say so
2: this is this is why i was kind of highlighting the sentinel keyword and mm-hmm. the tax you're paying for it especially in space because the system patrol craft is a four for a three four with a keyword and a single aspect because another thing that you have to pay attention to with some of these stat lines is the aspect right uh sure. the tie advanced is four for a three two single aspect but with the two experience tokens you're essentially getting a 5-4 worth of stats and potentially spread across two bodies and the fact that the experience tokens can also shore up more important units or provide other synergy I actually think makes this card very flexible so when you look at how good TIE Advanced potentially is on paper and you compare it to the system patrol craft Then you realize how much of a tax you're paying for that sentinel keyword in space
0: Decent ship in my opinion I like anything that allows you to pick and choose what you're improving because oftentimes this ship is not necessarily The end all it might just be an annoying buzzing threat in the air But if you can just go ahead and support something on the ground or support another more important unit with the uh, with the imperial tag I think that it's great. It's it's at uncommon, so obviously they they value it as a pretty important piece. And I can see it's like anything else in like when you're doing Hearthstone Limited or whatever. When you can pick up a unit that improves your other units, it's a it's an element that your opponent cannot necessarily take account for from their mind. Like they they mm-hmm. it's not a what you see is what you get because they might have a plan on how to deal with one particular unit. But when you can drop this TIE Advanced and suddenly change their game plan by, it's like, oh, well, I had something that did four damage, but now it's up to five. And this allows you to also help and play around certain removal pieces and and direct damage cards. So I think that the TIE Advanced might not be an auto-include in certain lists, but in those lists that want to protect particular units, and maybe it's a swarm list of, well, we got our weenies out, let's drop some experience points on them.
2: One other bit that I want to emphasize is because this is a split, Arena game, right? We have the space in the ground. You're gonna, I think, find that decks will have to have some sort of either uh, game plan or way to address both arenas when you are starting to like build for the constructed side of things. And this card, while it is just a space card, because you can play it and then also give the bonus to the ground, what it actually does is it allows you to play a flexible card that kind of Has a presence in both lanes even when Mm -hmm. it doesn't so if you're in a situation where you know this was your space slot we'll we'll call it right for deck building and your opponent has just a much better air force and they've locked you out of that side of the board and you're just trying to push that last bit of damage on the ground where you've established control drawing this is going to be better than drawing a random space unit because technically this can still push that two extra damage in the other arena Similarly, if you're also trying to reinforce your ground, maybe you're playing like Cell Block Guard, right? The Sentinel Imperial Stormtrooper card that's already been revealed. Being able to throw an extra two health on your Sentinel to help protect your ground is a pretty big deal. So uh, you're right, Flake. In Hearthstone, anytime you could play a card that also buffs or helps another card, like that's good. But it's even emphasized further when you consider that you kind of have to shore up both sides of the board. And this allows you to do that.
0: I dig it. Um, I have been waiting. Yes. And waiting for this particular reveal. I already have people who have messaged me, and when it was revealed, I had, I think, uh, uh, my inbox blew up with people from the community saying, it's here, it's here, Han Solo (laughs) is here. And I love this card, not because it's just Han Solo, but for a particular reason, of which last week, Charmer, we were talking about the whole aspect of the ridiculous charge into the stormtroopers to confuse them and break them apart and break up the sentinel. And here is the artwork of that scene from a new hope where he is charging towards the stormtroopers. It is a seven cost card. Han Solo, the reluctant hero. His tagline is underworld. He's not a rebel yet. Um, he is a seven cost cunning and command. I believe it is with a six, six yeah, stat uh, line. Cunning heroism. heroism uh, sorry, cunning yeah. heroism. My bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking ahead with his, uh, you know, I see... He I gets see the, the command
1: later on, yeah. yeah.
0: I see the that's, command in him, is what it is. That's the
1: third movie, yeah.
0: yeah uh, ultimately, he's got ambush, which is essentially, you may ready up and attack an enemy unit right out of the gate, so it's got the equivalent of rush in Hearthstone, but it has what is technically a keyword in other card games however they haven't really attributed a keyword to it it says while attacking this unit deals combat damage before the defender so it has offensive first strike so it'll deal six damage first and if the unit dies then it receives nothing on the on the return fire i think that this card is going to be a massive massive headache for a lot of people
1: Yeah, I mean, this is—it's clearly one of the strongest cards they've revealed so far. Which, of course, it's Han Solo. uh, One of his, what I assume is going to be many iterations over the expansions. But um, it is easily one of the strongest cards they've revealed so far, just in the ability of to do damage instantly, and then also do damage without any really chance to respond in combat. And six takes out most of the stuff they've revealed so far. Um, There's a couple that are higher and there's a couple that are equal, but even if it's equal, like he can one shot Emperor Palpatine, right? (laughs) I mean, like uh, if if Emperor Palpatine's already hit the board and Han Solo comes out, he just pops out and kills the Emperor, unless there's someone there to stop him. So that's kind of interesting thematically, but uh, yeah, he's strong. (laughs) Like Chewie
0: on the other side with his Sentinel, (laughs) just makes no sense. But Charmer, what do you think about this card?
2: I think the card is very powerful just because it's likely setting up minimum two for one trades. So you're going to play this and you're going to pull a unit off and you're going to get the full six, six worth of stats still on it. Cause like, let's be honest, you're not going to crash this into something that's bigger than him. You're going to use it to just eat something that's there. So Mm -hmm. uh, this is just a very nice two for one. It's a removal on a body. Uh, I know that You know, we mentioned that he can trade into the Emperor and we're going to cover that card as well. But I I think that this is meant to be like the heroism version of the Emperor. Now, they're not quite the same card, but I think they both fill very similar roles. Uh, I will say the only thing that really jumped out at me about this keyword was that he doesn't have a ton of uh, tags. It's just Underworld. Mm-hmm. right He's not a rebel or anything like that. He is just a member of the underworld, and it makes sense at this point like in time because he's just kind of yeah. like you know the the scrappy smuggler, but that also could be a factor later on as we have more things that interact with each other.
1: well, he, I'm glad they're starting like this. I'm glad we're not getting like full- on you know fully developed Han solo you know general of the republic and all that kind of stuff uh, of the rebellion i I'm glad we're seeing the iterations. There's a, there's a couple characters that have different versions cuz you have your leader 1 and then you have your unit 1, you know. But uh I I'm glad that uh they're carrying that over from previous card games in the Star Wars universe. That you do have multiple iterations of the characters cuz that's so accurate, right? Because characters change so much throughout the Star Wars story and so that's that's good that that's that's again being reflected in this game.
0: Well, we're going to eventually see a Han Solo who is an imperial, right? From the movie Solo, uh who was in the battle of min Man and everything like that i mean it's possible oh it, that
1: movie it, yeah. it
0: wasn't so bad uh it just it wasn't
1: as bad as i thought okay and the actor that i can't remember his name right now but the actor that played han solo i thought did a pretty good job but my thing if i can digress for a second here my thing is that did we need a young han solo movie argue i would argue we already had one it was called a new hope yeah it's true so you're and I know, wrong. I know it it makes it actually didn't make as much money as I think they were hoping, but like but that reflect we don't need that. We just didn't need that movie. But, but anyway, young, you, you touched a sore spot for me.
2: It gave us young Lando, though, and we do need that. I need a lot more young Lando because we didn't get him in a new hope the way we got Han.
1: I mean, yeah. everyone in that movie acted their character very well.
0: I, I have know? to say, I thought I thought the movie was like I've watched it, I think, three times now. I think that. It's definitely not my favorite by any means. I don't think it's one of the best. I think that it it does what it wants, what it was sought out to do, which was tell us a story about it. The one thing I didn't like was that you take Han Solo, who in this card is not a rebel. He's a mercenary. He is he's in it for the money. And, you know, the pretty mm. girl that he's might rescue and a smuggler. Yeah. He's a smuggler, exactly. He but he says it. I'm in I'm in this for the money. That has always been about that, right? He is still the smuggler. He is still the scoundrel. And what I don't like about what that solo movie did, because now you open the box, uh Doa, so was the fact that talk about this D- well disney kind of turned what was meant to be a, a a character who was a pirate who was a, a scoundrel who did things you know he was a villain essentially he was not a He should
1: have been a bad guy in the movie honestly if they're going to be accurate to the character he should have been like an unlikable scumbag
0: correct but what happened no he 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 was you know a, an objector to the war who got thrown in there who then had his heart broken By the damsel in distress who was actually pulling the strings the whole time. And then he looked like the chump who then went on. It shouldn't have been about that. What happened to the ruthless murderer who just smoked Greedo? You know?
1: revisionist history of star wars characters has been a long tradition in star wars with adding the you know the han shut first thing of course he did you know but it got changed but the dangerous thing with that if i can digress even further is that one of the beautiful things about star wars is seeing how people can grow from a a, you know go from a worse place to a better place as a person you know han solo was shooting people under the table and in a new hope and then we got to see his career trajectory his personal trajectory into a much more noble person so by changing that stuff and making him always a hero you've taken away that character development and taken away a very important human story but i'm getting too much into my my other podcasts that i do about tv and film so i'll, I'll, stop. I'll stop can here. you please plug it because it's an excellent podcast <laughs> I I didn't I don't want to plug it because uh, because it, this is your podcast but it since you invited me no, to it, it, it do, is our, yours. now it's our oh, podcast. okay all right well that's that's true I I am part of the crew now but uh, but thank <laughs> you for inviting me by the way I'm very excited to be here more often but uh, the other podcast I do is one with Monte Cristo my former co caster in uh, many games and we talk about whatever latest not so greatest uh, nerd television and film stuff is uh, is out so. Yeah, we do a weekly episode of that over at Nerd Legion Culture. It's great. On YouTube and Spotify.
0: It is Fun. great. I don't always agree with your takes on things, but that's the beauty of discourse, <laughs> uh, is that eventually... Yeah, you don't,
1: you're not supposed to.
0: No, well, eventually we're going to have to... We will meet up again in, in real life, so I have to face that whole reality that I can't call you uh, an awful person over the internet, because I'm going to have to see you in, in person, which... Yeah. I don't know, um, yeah, you can,
2: but... <laughs> okay, but what, what's your excuse for calling me an awful person all the time?
1: I'm not scared of you. That's the other part. Oh, that's
0: fair. <laughs>
1: wow. Uh, I am an intimidating person. I've always been told that. <laughs> Well, you
0: know who yeah. is intimidating is our next reveal, Charmer, and I think that— Oh, good segue. Right? I, yeah. I'm working on these. I work with Charmer, so I have to make sure that I pull rabbits out of the hat at all times here. So Charmer just grab us through the next one, which I think for what you said of equating Han Solo to this next reveal, I think is a pretty fair comparison.
2: So somehow we have returned the discourse to the emperor emperor Palpatine. This is an eight cost ground unit that has villainy and aggression six, six stat line. Unlike Han though, he's part of every club. He is a force Imperial Sith official <laughs> has overwhelm. And then when played deals six damage divided as you choose among enemy units. And that's crazy this is also incredibly powerful now it costs one more than han for the same stat line but that one extra cost actually gets you a lot of bang for your buck because when this thing comes down you're going to deal that six damage so this card could be a one for four with a six six overwhelm body on top of it that's absurd this thing can come down and force lightning the space arena like it could I don't I don't know what the stats are, but hypothetically, for all we know right now, this thing could come down and just zap the Millennium Falcon out of the sky. Right. He did it on so, Exegol.
0: Like he, yeah. just, he just. No, decided. we don't talk
1: about the sequels. No, <laughs> he totally no. Gandalf
0: the entire free. He like thawed
1: <laughs> the whole fleet. It's yeah, possible. Can, so this, this is a very powerful card. He can already take out two X-Wings on his own just with being played. So, so but, there's that.
0: But I'm thinking that, I mean, it's an eight cost stat drop, right? Like, and it's an icon, iconic character. Again, the the on deploy effect, the when played effect is very, very thematic, especially since the art style kind of basically is sort of, it doesn't say he does six damage of force lightning, but you know that that's what they're referring to, right? right? So what I like about this is that he needs to either focus all his attention on a strong willed like heroic character like Han Solo or a whole bunch of small weenies and with like low low totals and just kind of raise the board in that regard. I think that in terms of versatility, this card is very very good from the top end not to mention you're not like if with the overwhelm aspect if you're punching through some of the smaller uh units on the board they're provide they're giving you change back right like they're you're getting change off of these so uh the six damage divided as you choose i think is is really effective for just cleaning up the odds and ends and tying up loose ends but again eight cost is this has to come down and it needs to make an actual impact, because a 6-6 body is very
1: easily answered. Well, I think he will make some impact given the damage that you see, and he demands a response too, right? Because you can't let something with 6 power and overwhelm just hang out. So, he does, res- he does demand a response from your opponent, it feels like. So, one of, the, uh, one of the cards, one of the quote-unquote possible win condition cards for an aggression deck, depending on what else we see. You know,
2: I also just want to say how much I really love that he has the overwhelm keyword because that Mm -hmm. incentivizes you to potentially target smaller things with him. So it's not just that he comes down any force lightnings, everything, but also he punishes your opponent for you sending weak people after him. Right. Like it's almost offensive to him that you have some shoddy one one unit. So I'm going to nuke that and also deal the excess damage to your base. Just everything about him. Is very fun and flavorful.
0: We have one of the fringe characters. Oftentimes uh, in doa you and I were talking about it. Actually, we were all talking about it when sometimes where Star Wars CCG has just got free free reign to create the lore behind certain background characters. I feel like they this, did. Is, this, this is this is crazy. It was great, yeah. but that's what gave some personality to that you know, a character that was in a frame for a half second and now they have an entire backstory. Uh, this one is a uh, Vigilance Villainy 4-Drop unit in the on the ground. Lieutenant Childson, the Death Star Prison Warden. Um, mm-hmm. Was this the one who uh, Han and Chewie just had a slight weapons malfunction and beat the living piss well, out that's,
1: of? This is the guy where they bring Chewie into Cell Block and you have the Imperial Officer that says, where are you taking this Thing that's him. That's <laughs> Lieutenant Childson. So, yep, he's the the one who disrespects Chewbacca and then gets thrown into a wall. I believe. Is yeah, that sounds. How he meets his end, or into a console or something. Oh, it's thrown.
0: It feels yeah. like a fitting a fitting response, sure. but it's a four drop. Backhand of Bio Wiki. Just plastered his his indenture into the sidewall of the bulkhead. It's just still there. Uh It's a two two Imperial official sentinel built in, and it has a when played reveal up to four vigilance uh, cards from your hand for each card revealed this way give an experience token to this unit so if you've got the right recipe this four drop can become a six six in a hurry so this i think is you have i feel like you know, th- even three. I think you're ahead on three Vigilance cards. Uh, if you're showing two and it's just a 4-4 four, for four, four with Sentinel, I think you're doing all right. But the fact that it has Sentinel and could be a 6-6 six, six as a four drop, this to me is good enough where you might lean heavy into Vigilance to drop four copies of this card in your deck.
1: I thought it was three. I think it only have max three in a deck for deck building. Is it three? I think it's three. I think it's three. I think I think it is three. Right, yeah. It is three, it but is you can yeah. reveal. Oh, Either that's way, a confusion. You can still reveal. You would four. want to. You would want to run three. I think if you were playing him, I agree, I agree with that. Um, and I I like that his ability is thematic in a way to his character, where, um, you uh, you reveal something that's not good, uh, as part of playing him, because you know he revealed kind of a, a unsavory part of his personality when he called Chewbacca a thing in the movie, and in the game you have to reveal four cards from your hand, which is not good, because then, you know, being in the action phase, they can kind of predict around what you're going to possibly play for the rest of that phase, which can be kind of detrimental. So thematically, very appropriate. Well done, Fantasy Flight.
2: I want to go a step further on the theming. Oh, yeah. He is a prison warden with Sentinel, right? So he is clearly guarding people. It's just in this case, it's supposed to be the prisoners. So you've got that part in. But the when played to me is... By himself, he's just like this weakling. He He's your typical middle management, right? He mm. He's the boss, but by himself, not really effective. But the more people that you reveal, a.k.a. the more potential guards that he has on standby watching this prison, the more emboldened he becomes. So True. I do really like that. I also really like that on paper, this card does look really powerful, but the more you kind of think through the thought process, it's very hard to pull off the plus four because you start with six cards in hand, you resource two, so you're only going to have those four cards, and so chances are by the time you're playing him, if you want to get the full effect, you probably had to skip playing something for a turn or two, and that's your payoff then. You get this cost-effective big unit because you took a turn or two off. I also want to revisit something flake and i keep mentioning which is that we're very excited for the limited formats and this is a card that would potentially reward you for including cards that you would have the aspect tax for just because they maybe have uh vigilance but some other aspect but you can use them to buff him right so imagine you're drafting Mm. and you're playing you know primarily vigilance villainy and command and so you've got uh, child sin in your deck, maybe you consider running that uh, heroism Vigilance card just because you want that extra Vigilance
1: counter, right? Like, there's there's a lot to this, and I really dig it. You know, I think, too, the other thing is he's, he's Vigilance Villainy, and we have seen some pretty strong card draw in Villainy already in the I Am Your Father card, which, by the way, I can't believe they remade Browbeat with this card. Because that, that was one of the... In case you're unfamiliar, there's a card in Magic a red card called browbeat that does basically the same thing. And it was one of the strongest cards in red when it was out because it really is like, it's either a big amount of damage or a big amount of card draw. So it's just strong. And for the cost too, it's, it's very inexpensive at three, it feels like. So, you know, you can use that to possibly load up your hand with a bunch of blue guys for a big, uh, some turn too. So maybe if you're playing, you know, vigilance, uh, villainy, and then I would imagine, you know, then obviously aggression would be in there if you're using Vader as your leader or something like that. Then uh you could have a situation where you could include card draw to make him a little bit more viable. Otherwise, yeah, without card draw, it would be hard to get the full max um buffing for him. So that is that is a good point to think about.
0: Last uh not last up. We've got a we got a whole bunch actually. Uh yeah, there's so much. Yeah, we got we gotta pick up the pace here. So we'll go to Obi-Wan. Oh, okay. right. o- Obi-Wan Kenobi, a six drop. It is a vigilance and command unit, a four-six force. Jedi. So there's actually, those are separate aspects here. So we maybe have thought that Force was what would touch all the, you know, all the Force sensitive, but now we have Sith and Jedi. So those are separate as well. It is a Sentinel unit. And when defeated, give two experience points to another friendly unit. So one single unit gets basically plus two, plus two ongoing. But if it's a Force unit, Draw a card. So this is, again, to the whole thing, if you strike me down, I will shall become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Uh, if it's a force unit, draw a card, almost like talking to Luke. Like, Luke, shut off your super sophisticated targeting computer and make everyone lose their minds and, and <laughs> as their life ha- yeah. lives hang in the balance. I I honestly think that this is a, a good card. I just don't think it's a great card because I think the stat line for it, for the, the cost and everything, is so-so. Um, I would have liked a little bit more oomph, but I, then again, the when defeated aspect I think is fairly strong. Um, uh, and you just... I think that players might be able to play around it by killing the other stuff and then killing him so there's no death rattle effect of buffing something else.
1: Yeah, being essential, I suppose, makes that a little bit tougher because you can't do it with just your units. You have to do it with like an event from hand or something like that, or some ability, possibly. Um, but uh, I think... You wouldn't play him unless you were gonna be pretty sure you would get the card draw out of it. I, I agree that I don't think two experience tokens is like enough to make him, you know, super great. And and again, like we're saying all this with having a very incomplete picture of the way the set looks overall, right? I mean, there's a lot more cards that we haven't seen. So our opinions could, are subject to change, I will say. But as it is now, I think you could theory craft that you'd want a deck with a lot of force units in it to kind of guarantee that card draw. Cause if you don't get the card draw, doesn't seem quite as good. I agree. Charmer? Yeah, I
2: I would just say that this card is very clearly meant for decks that want to go the long haul. Because paying six for just a four six Sentinel mm-hmm. is nowhere near good enough. That is way over costed. So the only way that you're willing to do that is if you're trying to get all three parts. Which means you you get the body, you get the experience, you get the card draw, and you live long enough to play whatever it is that you drew. Now, granted, vigilance heroism seems like it's going to be your go long deck, so that makes sense. But if you're not getting all facets of this, then it does look a bit uh, overpriced.
0: The big one, Doa. Yeah, hit us with the big one.
1: I mean, the big one is is Vigilance, right? Is Am I right that this is the first Legendary they've they revealed for the game? Yes. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's a double Vigilance as well, which uh, means you do have to have two Vigilance aspects in your, among your, your hero and location combined. Otherwise, you're paying that extra tax for whatever one you're missing. But honestly, I would say, even if you're only running a one Vigilance thing, you'd probably still include this because you pay, I would be okay paying six for this card. It's, it's so good because you get to choose two in any order discard six cards from an opponent's deck heal five damage from a base defeat a unit with three or less remaining hp uh or give a shield token to a unit so any two of those abilities combined i would tend to feel like is uh is worth six to me uh but if you can get to vigilance you know so much the better i'm sure there's going to be decks that are able to do that but um it is it is a strong card what, what do you think do you like this where it's just a lot of different options at once and that's what makes it strong do you like that style of card
0: Well, let's look at uh, other card games, for example, Flesh and Blood. Why is Enlightened Strike so popular and powerful? Because it's versatile. Because it allows you to, uh, it allows it itself to be uh, effective in various circumstances. Given, do you need to go tall? Do you need to go again, or do you need to recover resources? E Strike can do all of that. Vigilance uh, is, like you said, even with the double Vigilance tag on it. I think that's on purpose because they want people to pay for six for this. And uh, I don't think that there's going to be many decks that are going to double Vigilance in terms of their actual aspect ratio. I just think Mm -hmm. that they're rewarding those who really want to double down on a Vigilance deck. This card does everything everything that you want it to do uh it it progresses it either protects or progresses uh a, whatever your game plan is by defeating a small unit giving a shield token to protect one of your important other units discard your mill your opponent if they're close to the end like if you get this late game milling six cards your opponent can be a game-breaking play finally fi- r- r- heal five to your base it, for control decks which vigilance says it wants to be um The first two options of heal five from your base and mill your opponent from six might just be that last straw that broke the camel's back against an opponent who has been bumping their heads against your sentinels and your restore units to try and finish it. And suddenly they're like, oh, damn, we're down to the last eight cards of our deck. And you're like, actually, you're down to the last two cards of your deck. So sorry, not sorry. I think that this card as the first legendary is bonus huge time bonus awesome card and it leads me to believe that every aspect is going to have a double aspect legendary
1: i agree just name that aspect which is cool i i want to i want to hear charmer's opinion on this too but real quick before we get there like i was wondering why vigilance would show like anakin as the the forefront and because he you think he'd be in the aggression side of things but I realized, I believe this is the scene where Anakin and Obi-Wan bust in and kill the poisonous worms that are about to assassinate Amidala. So in that case, yeah, they've been vigilant because they're watching out for that stuff. So I was a little bit unsure about the art, but if it is a scene I think it is, I'm okay with it.
2: I I think it is. That was the scene that I thought it was as well, and I took this as this was the quintessential Anakin and Obi-Wan as the protectors, right? Like they are coming in to save Mm -hmm. the day. Uh, This card is very, very good. Uh, Even if you're not using it to stall the game out, it's very likely a two-for-one when you play it. Even something as simple as destroying a unit with three or less HP and then giving a shield token to one of your units. If it's ready, you can then turn around and get another value trade, so it's almost like instant two-for-one. But the thing that I like most about this, it's the first Legendary. It's incredibly powerful, And so they give it the double aspect, as you said, because they likely want sometimes folks paying six for this. And the reason that that really resonates with me is because you're more likely to be paying that tax in a limited format like draft or sealed. Mm. And so that also means that you can still open and play with your powerful cards, but they're not going to be just an auto. I win like if you've ever played any other card game magic, especially there are some times where, like in draft. If you just draw whatever your busted rare is, you just auto win, right? Because the limited card pool makes it impossible to deal with here. We get our first legendary and it's very clearly powerful, but in all likelihood, when you're playing this in a limited format, it's not going to be as powerful as, as it is in constructed. And so I just really like that consideration when it comes to the card design and
0: balance. Beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, some more, less impressive cards actually another less impressive cards and then less one impressive my bad what? my bad i okay in 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 my defense next to this first legendary a lot of the things are going to seem less impressive such fair as enough, fair the enough. distant patroller uh which is a space unit a two drop it is a fringe vehicle fighter so maybe something from the outer rim territories two cost vigilance a two one When defeated, you may give a shield token to a Vigilance unit. Now, this was, I believe, there was art of this, and this is the card associated to that particular art. But it's uh, it's a small little unit that, again, on on defeat, really helps out your deck building if you're really focused on Vigilance, which uh, this whole week has been the theme, it seems.
1: Yeah, it's cool. I mean... Shield tokens are pretty strong. They absorb pretty much any amount of damage if it comes in as a single chunk. So, uh, yeah, being able to give that to either one of your space units or uh, especially one of your sentinel space units, perhaps, to uh, protect yourself up in the air is uh, strong. Otherwise, just something on the ground is good, too. It's only costs two. Pretty cheap. Yeah, seems like just a solid common. Or is it uncommon? Uncommon. It, it's, it's solid uncommon. uncommon. I, yeah. I
2: think the biggest issue with this is that you're going to see the kind of risk and reward it's not the sort of card you want to play turn one because if your opponent has an answer right away and there's no other unit for the shield then you're going to have a bad time uh if you can actually get the value out of this then you know you're cooking right it's a very cheap shield generator on a body but it could be a dead card in certain situations
0: just watch when palpatine comes down and smokes six of these in one go and (laughs) nobody gets shield (laughs) that's 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 the beauty um. All right, not much else to say on that. I don't think it's a great card. That's just me, because of what you said, Charmer, given the nature yeah. of turns going back and forth. You drop it, it dies, it loses value. Um. But, oh boy, oh boy, I am so pleased with this card. Another card that is, again, finally associated to the artwork that was revealed. Doa, the big boys are out to play, baby.
1: What do we got here? Yeah, we got Relentless. A uh, control villainy star destroyer, which is neat. I mean, everybody loves star destroyers. Who doesn't, you know? Um, I can't wait to see what they do with like the executor and stuff like that. Pretty sure Jakku Jakku doesn't like star destroyers. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, sure. But well, I mean, I I, I would argue that Rey really does like star destroyers because she was able to make a living salvaging parts from the one that crashed uh, in her backyard. yeah, yeah, so so it depends on your perspective. Or as Obi-Wan would say, it depends on a certain point of view, right? Yes,
0: from a certain but point But anyway,
1: of view. Yeah. we got this 8-8, uh, so pretty big. Biggest starship we've seen so far, um, I believe. Imperial vehicle, capital ship. The first event played by each, e- each opponent each round loses all abilities. So that right there is just an extremely strong uh, ability to have. Like, each event is essentially just counterspelled, you know, as it's played. And it says each opponent too. So this would apply to whatever multiplayer format you would think we would eventually get, right? So yeah, seems strong. Costs nine. So it does cost a ton. This is a late game, try to close things out, lock down the board kind of thing. It is a control card. So that is appropriate. That's one of its aspects. Um, but yeah, pretty neat. I love the art on it too. And uh, yeah, again, like Star Wars starships are just the coolest thing. I don't know. It was great. This
0: might be our first template for what, like, the at are going to look like, um, especially mm. the unique ones, Blizzard 1, Tempest 1, et cetera, all those uh, big deals. But um, I had mentioned this privately with you guys. I said, I'm so glad that they're printing unique Star Destroyers and giving them these wicked cool uh, um, abilities. My suspicion is that you're going to have, like, seven drop Star Destroyers that are, like, seven eights that might have like a shield or something on them that have nothing sure. else. But the fact that they are giving them personality now, you know, and like Star Wars CCG had tons of them. Like the Chimera was a very popular one. Uh, mm-hmm. The Executor, obviously uh, Avenger, etc. There were so many that were printed that had, that did unique things. And if you put the right pilot on them, they were even better. And, and that's what I'm very, very uh, excited to see where in, Charmer, you and I were talking about, like, just custom cards as upgrades. Maybe we're going to have pilots that are upgrades.
2: I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I know we're getting something. I don't know what the specifics are, but when I was talking to Jim at Gen Con, he said, you know, there's so much that I want to say to you guys that I can't and we'll have to revisit later because sometimes we listen to your podcast and then I run down the hall and say, hey, Charmer gets it. They they got it. And so I want to know what he's (laughs) talking about when he told me that, but... We're
1: on to something, but he wouldn't tell me what hmm. for obvious reasons. So I mean, I why would you? Why wouldn't you make a, a ground unit pilot card that you can play on the ground and they're just not very strong, but you can attach them to a starship and they I, give it you know whatever sets. So I I have no idea why you wouldn't make a card like that. That just seems like a such an obvious thing to include in your Star Wars game.
2: I still think that we might get them just as upgrades that say they have to be played on a vehicle unit. So you'll get it's totally like, possible too. Yeah, Han, because the reason i think that is we've already seen darth vader's lightsaber and that has the unique symbol so if Mm -hmm. upgrades are going to have uniqueness to them there's no reason you can't literally have like han solo the pilot as an upgrade card and he's just
1: upgrading whatever ship he's piloting yeah or you could have less unique ones turbo laser batteries ion cannons things like that that you could just attach yeah tie
2: pilot Yep.
1: Uh, so yep. th- that that essentially wraps up the leaks and
0: the spoilers that we've we've received uh well again, no leaks
1: no leaks no leaks you're right sh- all above board here
0: yeah, yeah. We're, we're not greasy uh like that because we like this game <laughs> and we we want to we play by the rules here on wampa radio but again it's august 9th these are all the cards that are officially released up until this point this evening um let's talk real quick uh before we get to the mailbag uh, Gen Con just went down, and like we said, there's there was so much else going on at that event. Uh, a lot of the headlines were mostly buzzing about the the sheer magnitude, the the seismic impact of Lorcana that was there, and you know, however it went down is none of our business on this show. But what we want to talk about necessarily is. Where Star Wars: You fits in with this new wave, and Charmer, you were there. Um, Doa and I can only kind of discuss based off of it's all like hearsay and, and just you know all rumor and such, and and from the pictures and the and the response. I know a lot of people listening were there, but for you, that was there. Was Star Wars? unlimited getting you know what kind of attention was it getting because the, all the eyes were obviously on Lurkana. a lot of the spotlight was being attracted towards that side but was star wars you getting you know like just Counter sort of
1: notification con- nearly gave me a heart attack there all right wow, sorry. so <laughs> that's fine it happens to all of us close that. um
2: <laughs> i here's the best way i know how to answer this question And this is not a biased answer. This is just like my objective observations. I think that Star Wars Unlimited had the best turnout from a gameplay perspective because a lot of the hype that I was witnessing over Lorcana was about the investor side of the game. Everybody thinks it's going to be the new thing where they can make a bunch of money. There was a lot of buying and selling at the convention. Like the Mickey Mouse promos, vendors were buying them for like seven hundred dollars day one. That dropped over the course of the weekend when they realized how plentiful they were. But you had people that were like camping by where the line was, but not to get in the line. They were just trying to buy the product from people as they were exiting, so that they could turn around and then rescalp it. And you had people that waited in line all three days and it had nothing to do with the gameplay. Now, I'm not saying that there weren't people who showed up and didn't have a good time. My son demoed the game. He liked it. But when given the choice, my son came back to Star Wars for a reason. And that was what I what I kept seeing was that when you walked around to the actual like gameplay areas, the Star Wars Unlimited Demo location was was packed. So. I think that there's a legitimate excitement about the game as far as how it plays and whether or not there's a collector side to it. Who knows? Obviously, the Disney adults are going to ramp things up. I also think if I'm being entirely honest, the combination of it being a uh, Disney product with the fact that those D23 promos were selling for like five grand prior to Gen Con People thought, okay, this might be my chance to earn five grand with whatever. And so I think a lot of people went into that weekend thinking like, how can I make money off of Lorcana instead of how can I enjoy Lorcana? That was not the case. With this, because it's not being released yet, you couldn't buy product. It was strictly a, hey, how can I enjoy the game and what can I have to look forward to? So there's excitement about the gameplay, excitement about the products. I know we talked about the deck boxes. I took some pictures. Uh, There's also sleeves that are already being produced. There's ones with Luke and Vader and then ones with... Um, just like a generic Star Wars Unlimited logo, but it's got like a light side and a dark side feel to it as well. Uh, the other thing that I, I really wanted to highlight, and I actually took a picture, as dorky as this sounds, uh, of the sleeve of one of the shirts that the FFG guys was wearing, hmm. because they had a thing. At first, when I saw it, I thought it was a, a C-3PO reference, but they actually have this thing that's C-3OP, And it is their mantra for organized play. And it is how they plan on building the foundation of this game and the user experience. And it resonated with me so much that I was like, hey, can I take a picture of that? Because I want to talk about it when I get back. Uh, The C3OP is their three C's of organized play. It's connect, collect, compete. So connect is emphasis on the casual play. Collect is emphasis on the people who want to chase cool stuff. And Compete is for us competitive guys. They have this trifecta that they know they need to focus on, and they care about it so much that they printed it and put it on their shirts, right? Like, that resonated with me big time, and I was very, very excited for that. And the fact that, you know, when this game launches, there's going to be sleeves and deck boxes and tokens. Like, the game Genic Tokens, I took a picture of that as well. There's, like... Uh, You buy them together, but there's 55 pieces all for helping to play the game right out of the gate. Everything they were doing is with intention. And when I talked to the, the team, they kept saying, like, there's so much we want to tell you. But we have these things set up with specific beats in mind because they know how they want the game to go. And they know what their vision is for it being successful. And they don't want to do too much too early or not do enough. Right. So they have a very distinct plan, but the fact that, again, they sat down and they thought about it and said, this is important enough for us to like create a plan, adhere to it, follow it again, was very reassuring uh, to me as well. And then the, the last bit, this one was, um, new info. So I I do want to make sure I cover it at some point on the broadcast, uh, When we were kind of talking about the C3OP thing, and then when I had an opportunity to uh, directly interview Josh Massey, the organized playhead, he was mentioning the graphic that he had released and that we've already referenced, right? There's the casual side with the pre-releases, weekly play, and store showdown. Then there's the other side where it's got planetary qualifier, uh, sector qualifier, and regional You and I, Flake, in a previous episode had speculated what those different parts were. Um, He didn't give me all of the details, but he gave me a nugget and he said I was okay to share it. So the the planetary qualifier is like the lowest level of the organized competitive circuit. Mm -hmm. And those are going to be meant to be played at your store level. So they are like your store championships, if you will. But what he also told me is that when you're looking at that graphic, you'll notice that it's thin and wide where it sits. Hmm. And that's an actual visual representation of the the width is player like accessibility. And the height is how much weight they plan on it having for their tournament points for how you qualify for that galactic championship. Hmm. So as you look, then you'll see sector qualifier is a little bit thinner, but a little bit taller. And then the regional is going to be like your big events that have more weight. So they've already got at least these three things in mind for how they want to kind of scale up or down their their competitive environment as well. So uh, again, those those three Cs. You know, they got the connect, which is that casual thing. Collect is obviously the nature of trading card games, and that's why we have promos. You know, speaking of promos, the uh, the Gen Con ones are pretty. Ooh. It's gonna be a little bit blurry on my camera, but uh, I got these awesome. Luke invader promos uh, you'll notice these ones though uh, they got some signatures uh, so while I was there uh, again a lot of the team from FFG was there including uh, Danny Schaefer the lead dev on Star Wars Unlimited Jeremy Wern who was the lead dev on destiny and also works on this game. Uh, Jim Cartwright, who is on their product team, but also helped with the mechanical design, and then Aaron Holtum. So I had all four of those devs that were there sign these so that we can give them away.
0: Oh, to me. Very cool.
2: No, no, no. To the <laughs> viewers, the people we care about.
0: I see how it is. Oh, um, subtle. Oh. You know, just Doa, I throw s- that out there. I sent him that. I say I sent him there like I have that kind of command. <laughs> I was uh, say
1: it. Go to Gen <laughs> Con. <laughs>
0: um uh, i yes i i uh i sent him on a mission all i said was i'm like see what you can do about pulling strings about getting me a set of those uh of mm. those promos and 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 then here he is saying that uh yes i have the set they are signed by the the, the appropriate people and we will send them away as uh wow well i know i know
1: it's... such benevolence
0: imagine the philanthropy is incredible uh charmer good for you yeah <laughs> but, no, but that is what we do. We want to give some stuff away. We've given away packs of old CCGs. We've given away all kinds of stuff. And what do we get in return? We get Doha. That's pretty sweet. Actually, the karma comes back pretty hard here. But
1: I'm quite the catch,
0: <laughs> I've been told. Uh, first catch <laughs> of the day an intimidating catch <laughs> hey but. there
1: you go all right i knew i liked you there
0: <laughs> uh, we are uh, the other aspect here again pun intended is that uh doe i know that you know we have been anytime it's star wars we're always going to be on on like on on with it i don't know how else to properly oh, yeah. explain it mm-hmm. um you've been following along with a lot of the gen con information and a lot of the stuff that's out there there's a lot of card games where do you feel star wars is kind of positioned now, out coming out of Gen Con. I mean, I have my own opinions on this, and I've been very, very openly um, talking about it, but I want to know where you feel now that
1: it's kind so, of out there. There's a lot of excitement. And I mean, uh, Star Wars is obviously an intellectual property that's going to cause a lot of excitement no matter what. But I think for card game players, especially ones like us that have been around for a long time playing a Star Wars card game has always been like a special thing for us and then there's a second generation of Star Wars card game players that came in with destiny right um, and they all had that good Star Wars card game playing experience and so you've got two generations of Star Wars card game players who are I think really ready and excited to adopt this um, in my uh, in my in my I won't name names but in my play group uh, for uh, for Flesh and Blood, I go and play in armies and things. There's a lot of people who playtest this game um, and have told me nothing but good things about it. And they haven't been leaking anything. Don't worry. But uh, in case Fantasy Flight people, I know you're watching. They're not leaking. They're just telling me they had oh, fun with it. But they, they uh, but told yeah, me they so... watch everything. And oh, they you good. Thought, That's good. I
2: thought it was like okay, they're saying that to be kind. But I, I kid you not. When I showed up and I, you know, met Xander, as the other people were walking around, every time he'd say, Hey, this is Derek, AKA Charmer from Wampa. And they would go, Oh, and like, like every one of them had something to say uh, about the show or something that they listened to or whatever. So they legit do listen and care.
1: But anyway, uh, that's, uh, I mean, that, so I, I do want to say that I am very proud of your playtesters, by the way. They are not spilling the beans, but they are telling me they're having a lot of fun. So I have a lot of confidence from a lot of experienced card game players uh, that uh, it is going to be good. I live in Minneapolis, by the way, which uh, Fantasy Flight is is in Minneapolis. So that's why we've got so many people right in our backyard that have more experience with the game. But uh, I digress. Anyway, so I'm hearing a lot of good things about it. Um, on a personal level, Like I'm just very excited to be able to play a Star Wars card game again and discover new ways to, you know, uh, you know, break the rules so to speak and make sort of all sorts of crazy fun combos and all that. I've always been I've never been a spike if you're familiar with the spike, Johnny, Timmy archetypes of card game players. I've always been the Johnny that wants to win, but I have to win in like an enter a way that's entertaining to me. And uh and so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of that stuff in this game. So and I've just played a lot of Fantasy Flight games over the years, too, you know, from board games like uh, Eldritch Horror is probably my favorite board game of all time, uh, to then uh, the L5R LCG. I was deep into that game. Uh, Unicorn Clan. Forever, by the way. But uh, I to the extent where I was going to, like, big tournaments in, uh, like, Monty and I, my, my former co-caster, we drove from LA to Phoenix to play in a big L5R tournament there back in, it was pre-pandemic, so uh, what, back in early 2019, I think that was. So yeah, so I've had good experience with Fantasy Flight card games in the past, too, so I am excited about this for a lot of different reasons.
0: I'm, I might be one of the few that has never played a Fantasy Flight game in my life, so uh, I think hmm. between the three of us, we kind of have all different perspectives uh, from, like, there moderate to zero to full-on, and... <laughs> Um, I think that the fact that all of us are equally as excited about this is a good sign, and I know that this is a Star Wars Unlimited podcast, but I think that one thing that we can all kind of attest to is that we do have the integrity. Of if we don't like something, we are happily would happily say it. And um, you know, uh, I I had a I had past tense a, pod, uh, a Lorcana podcast. Uh, I when I began to just not like it and not I felt like this wasn't for me. I stopped it, and this is, I think, I've been very vocal to you specifically, privately and publicly, uh, Charmer, that this has been one of my favorite projects I've ever worked on because it has been the perfect marriage of two of my biggest passions, which is card gaming and Star Wars. Like, this is exactly what I want, and um, I want to tell a very, very brief story to, to sort of give you an idea of how I feel about this and the kind of relief my favorite band of all time is Incubus. I've seen them about 8 oh, or 9. Oh, that's a good choice. Yes, yeah, 7, about 7 times across 5 different cities I've seen them. I had an hmm. opportunity to meet them. And when I went to go meet them, when I was waiting to go meet the band, my buddy said, "What if they're jerks?" And I said, "Don't tell me that because that is going <laughs> to that is going to absolutely ruin this for me." I went and they were the most compassionate, caring, kind people they're like hi my name is brandon what's your name i'm like bitch i know who you are like you know but i didn't say that but it's like i was very <laughs> you know they were incredibly kind we had a we had a genuine conversation when it, this was in toronto they're like you know what's some cool stuff to do here in toronto in the city whatever and when it, when it was time for us to leave because they had the show to do brandon boyd the lead singer came up to me like grabbed me by the shoulder and said hey man it's it was really cool to meet you like and gave me a hug and i was like that is so Awesome, you know, it was just really awesome, and that was one of my biggest fears about this, was Mm -hmm. because a lot of people mentioned that fantasy flight games did have some spots, like some blotches on their reputation when it came to sustaining particular card games, and I hope that that is now put to bed because from what you said, charmer, of hey, we've put in more into this than we have in anything else, and the fact that uh, Doa, you saying that the playtesters are having a blast playtesting this from all the cards that have been leaked. I feel like the game is, is, has enough going on of interesting interactions that are also digging into the flavor and the thematic aspect of Star Wars. I think that this is a winner. I truly, truly believe that this game is a winner. Now, is it going to challenge the big three? I don't think so, because I don't think anything's going to ever challenge the big three. But I think not it's going to.
1: Even Redemption? <laughs> They're still making it.
0: <laughs> You're right. There. You're not wrong there. Uh, I <laughs> it think... is
1: eternal. Oh yeah, it's again thematic. Let's let's get on with that. Um, And I wouldn't be so sure. If I may disagree with you for a moment, I wouldn't be so sure because uh, and and we have a lot to see yet with this game. So of course, take this all the grain of salt. But if anything's going to challenge the big games out there, it's going to be a Star Wars game. You know, it's not going to be this like collector mad beanie baby card game with a mouse. It's going to be it's going to be Star Wars. It's going to be something solid.
0: Um. Any last thoughts before we get to the mailbag, my friends? Uh, anything that you guys want to sort of toss out there before we, we dig in? Because you know us, man. We can go on.
1: <laughs> I think I've said enough for my first time. Yeah, I was going to say,
2: I, I have plenty of thoughts, but we're already running a bit long, and I want to be you know, courteous towards our, our viewers who probably have better things to do. So we'll just save it for the next episode.
0: We'll save it for the next episode. Let's get to the Bad Feeling Mailbag i got a
1: bad feeling about this. I have a bad feeling about this. I've got a bad feeling about hey. it.
0: quiet. All oh. right, so the bad, mailing, bad feeling mailbag, again, we're going to unfortunately uh, cut it a little bit short. Um, but uh, those questions always go into a vault. And we might just do a gigantic vault clearing session, some spring cleaning at one point. But this one from Greg at Darth Prentice asking a two-pack of questions. Uh, saying, what are you hoping or anticipating the cost of a deck to be in the game? Now, this is a big question all along when it comes to competitive card games, and I'm I'm assuming that Greg is referring to what, like, a Tier 1 competitive deck will cost. It's, It's
1: tough, because... So we just have no frame of reference yet yeah. to because we don't know what and there haven't really been enough promos released yet to get a sense of that kind of cost and of course it's all going to be crazy at the beginning and then become more reasonable. I hope I, it's going to be reasonable overall.
2: I Go ahead. I think that a good target is anything that is between I would say like eighty to one hundred and fifty for the cheapest versions start to finish if you owned zero cards and wanted to buy everything for a deck because a lot of the current industry standards like if you're trying to get into pokemon for example and you don't care about the extra ultra vmax shiny versions of stuff it kind of falls into that range Uh, battle spirits is in a very similar place where uh, it's about a hundred bucks for the most competitive deck right now. If you're just trying to buy the cheapest versions, so I think that if you can just fall into that range where you're competing with some of the better options, um, come in cheaper than say like a Magic or a Flesh and Blood, then that's a good thing. And then have your you know alternate arts or whatever be more expensive.
0: I yeah, can totally. I mean, I, I just bought—I um, paid about 120 bucks for the—about 80%, 80 to 90% of a competitive one-piece deck. Um, and we've talked about this before when it comes to the right balance between collectability and accessibility. I bought the cheapest versions of everything, like all the super rares or whatever it was, because those who want to bling out a deck have the opportunity to pay more. My deck that I bought— that costs, I think, altogether about 150 dollars. A competitive deck could have cost about two grand if I wanted it in the full-on blinged-out version. So we're going to see what Star Wars wants to do. But I think, from from just a like an all-encompassing perspective, in order to have the right, you know, appeal to players who want to get into the game and look at what the competitive decks look like. If those decks in their cheapest forms and fashions are above $500, that is a wrong move and they're doing it wrong. I think that the best option is somewhere between $80 to $200 for the cheapest version of a competitive deck. And the thing about it is like, is I'm looking at Vigilance, the the, uh, the legendary card that came out. You could pack three of those. So what is the drop rate of Vigilance? Is it one legendary mm-hmm. per box? In which case, the second you find a, a playable legendary, those are going to be unreal expensive between the 50 and 100 hundred dollar range and that can be problematic so it's gonna there's still a lot of variables to dissect here but i think just as a, a an overall answer if i had to say between between 100 and 200 is the right is the right recipe to play a, a ch- the cheapest version of a competitive deck
1: yeah i think that's fairly reasonable i, I think i agree with both of you on that um I just wanted it to be to be playable, you know, by the target audience. And, and you know, we are part of that target audience. But I think uh, to a large extent, it's it's, uh, you know, also the people we were, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Right. It's it's the the high school age Star Wars fans and all that. And it, it breaks my heart a little bit when I look at games like Pokemon and uh, during the height of the pandemic where you just couldn't packs were like twelve dollars each because. All the uh, adults were buying them out, you know, and doing these pack openings and things on social media. And it's it took away the opportunity for for kids to play the game, you know, and I look at Lorcana and I'm like, this is a game that kids are never going to get to play. The game is for kids and they're never going to pl- get to play because of all these, you know, crazy like uh, speculators on card value and all that. And that's super sad when a card game ends up in that realm, you know. So uh, I, I hope this game, you know, is has those cool looking chase rares, but from a playable perspective, has very achievable decks and has like boxes and packs that are not, uh, you know, prohibitively expensive for young people to play. Because we all got into card games when we were in like junior high, high school. You know, I want kids today of that age and younger to be able to get into card games the same way we did. You know, I want them to have that fun that I had, you know. So that's my main reason for wanting it to be as as cheap as it can be, frankly, you know. I don't really care about the collecting value of it. I just want to learn the game and be good at it and have that strategic challenge. Um, Chase rares are cool or whatever, but I just want it to be accessible by the people that are going to pilot these decks the best, you know. So if we have it uh, available to the largest socioeconomic uh, block then we are going to get the best games of the best tournament because we're going to have all the best players. So from a competitive standpoint, that's what I want. I want the best players. Well, well said. Well said. One last question.
0: I think that this uh, this is a good question for all of us given the fact that this is essentially our, our career's. Uh, Greg asking, are there any features that stand out as good or challenging for casting the game? And I know, I don't think there's any mm. secret that the three of us would love, love, love to cast this game on their professional mm-hmm. level. Uh, if worst case is, here it is, friends. This is our uh, our decree that uh, we are definitely interested. But uh, ultimately, when I look at this game, I think that what's so good or challenging? Challenging is is, is hard to sort of evaluate, because to me, challenging is like flesh and blood where there's a million different things and triggers and stacks going on. This game doesn't have a stack. So ultimately, I think from the perspective of casting it, it's not going to be terribly challenging. Um, as long as you know the cards and the sequencing and whatnot, that's from a technical aspect, casting the game is not going to be any more challenging than whatever is already out there. But when I yeah. when, with the question that refers to what's good about it, for me, what's good is the two lanes and Charmer. You worked in a two-lane game with Tessel. Uh, what I'm liking about this is wherein players are going to eventually have to make decisions of saying, "I can't compete in space; I got to race on the ground," or, or vice versa, or I need to start shoring up my space. Like, there's going to be decisions that go beyond just developing a board it's which board do i develop and i that is a a part of this that i'm very intrigued by
1: that's cool should i go next or do you want to go i
2: i'll i'll jump in so i i'm glad that flake covered it because i do think that what he's talking about is actually something that is good for the game and that is the lack of a stack I I love a complex Mm. game, let alone a complex card game, as much as the next person, but when you're talking about a coverage of such a thing, um, it's just a better viewer experience when they can tune in at literally any time and understand what's going on. Like, if you tune into Flesh and Blood in the middle of a Kano combo, then (laughs) you're going to have to go back Uh. and do some napkin math and whatever, right? This game will likely never have that, but I think that that's just really good for the viewer experience. The other thing that jumps out to me as far as like good things that are outside of just the mechanical stuff that you can lean in is recognizability and the other like really good things that you can do because of the intellectual property. So one, if you're a new player and you've never played the game, but you tune into a broadcast and somebody says, I play Chewbacca, you know what Chewbacca is, even if you don't know what the card does, like you can kind of follow along. You can be excited. Uh, Similarly, if you want to do additional content pieces or bits during a broadcast or you want to dress up in costumes, whatever the case may be, there's a lot of stuff to lean into for that because we've got decades and decades of Star Wars to lean on. If you want to make, you know, inside jokes, like every card game community has their inside jokes and names, but this goes beyond the card game thing because it's Star Wars. So your bag of references is kind of pre-built for you before you even begin a broadcast. There's just... I don't know it feels it feels like home right there's a level of familiarity that this card game has and it's not even out yet just because it's star wars and so i think that all of those are going to be really you know great for when you transition to trying to cast the game
0: but we got a new one yeah grimace oh. ba- Chew, to Ch- grimace or grimace baka
1: Oh, Grimbaka. Grimbaka. Yeah. yeah, there you Grim, go. yeah. Grimbaca. But it's uh that sounds like a meaner Chewbacca, but but no, you you totally you totally uh hit the nail on the head there. it's the comfort of being back in the Star Wars universe again in a card game sense and like I you you kind of said what I was going to say where I was I was going to say the banter, you know? The Star Wars related banter that can uh, that can be so much more natural in a Star Wars card game than when I inevitably try to insert it into everything else I've casted over the years, you know. In 13 years of casting, I would say Star Wars is probably my number one reference subject matter. But uh, so it would be nice to have that, you know, just be kind of naturally baked into the game, obviously. I totally agree to it, the readability, these cards will be very easy to see. And uh, you brought up a good point that I hadn't thought of where you kind of even have a sense of general strength of a card, even if you're not familiar with the cards. If you see Chewbacca played versus there's just a stormtrooper on the other side, you're gonna, even if you're not super familiar with the game, have a basic understanding of Chewbacca is going to probably be stronger than the stormtrooper right so that's that's a really cool aspect of it that i hadn't thought of of casting a game like this or of viewing a game like this you know as a, a casual player or someone yeah. tuning in for the first time that's that's very very cool uh I, go ahead well i was just
2: going to say the reason that i was thinking about it is My wife's family has tried to watch some of my broadcasts in the past, right? When I was covering the Elder Scrolls Legends, they would tune in and be like, oh, that's cool. Uh, You know, I've done esports stuff as well. Oh, that looks neat. But they they don't have a concept, right? They're just like, oh, he's doing the broadcasting. But I feel like even without knowing anything about how the actual card game plays, if some of my wife's family watched me covering this game, they would have a better understanding because they just know Star Wars, right? Like they might not know exactly what happened, but if I get really excited because somebody played the emperor and then they see somebody's like side of the board disappear, they know that something important happened. Emperor is an important person. That's clearly a big wiping play. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I I just think that that level of kind of communication across the subject matter is going to be really, really neat. It
1: could end up being one of the most watchable card games made yet that isn't a digital card game. Um, so that that is interesting to think about. I think on the challenges side of things, obviously math is a challenge for everyone. We're gonna have to <laughs> yeah. do a little bit of math on this. We're gonna mess <laughs> it up. It's walkers. just that's just the life of casting not only card games, but every every video game and esport and all that kind of stuff. Um, and again, like uh, I'm gonna do every, if if I do get the opportunity to do some of these events, I'm gonna do everything I can to help them in the setup beforehand and make sure we got that good camera angle. Make sure there isn't glare on anything, you know, and because that can really make it difficult, even as readable as these cards are. If there's a huge white glare on the card, and you can't see anything. Then you know that does make it challenging. So I think it's that's one thing I'm always looking at with card game casting is, you know, can I step away from the casting booth, you know, before we get started and make sure that we have a very watchable and readable board state for the broadcast. Um, and so just to challenge us, that's always something that's gonna be there and it's gonna be different for every event because lights are always gonna be different a little bit. Um, but you know something to something to keep an eye on. But definitely something overcomable too. So
0: I like the what you said there, Doa, which was you um, you and I got to cast worlds, and there was one at, for flesh and blood, for yeah. flesh and blood. Yes, and there was mm-hmm. one. Uh, there was one game. It was in limited where an opponent. It was an Icelander playing against Dromai. <laughs> Dromai was is a is basically a um, a hero that summons dragons, and one of the dragons are like tokens. They're just little one 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 dragons, and mm. the Icelander player played a card called Singe, which deals a lot of little pieces of arcane damage and meant basically it just destroyed like three or four different of these little ash wings and the reference i made was i said like the millennium falcon blasting tie fighters out of the sky suddenly like there's no more and i don't know what what i'm gonna lean on is it do i bring in the wrestling references to sort of cross the universes okay because, but because like you it's said star wars man it's, it's gotta star be star wars, wars. Yeah. exactly and this to me feels like i it's kind of like Coming home, and I don't know how else to properly explain it, but being able to cast a Star Wars game is like finally coming home and being comfortable and saying all the references that we make, all the things that we hope people are going to get and understand, and and that the references that we like to to to, to spice up a broadcast, they're going to get them. There's no more crossing your fingers saying, "Man, I really hope they they got that carbonite freezing." joke i made
1: do they know what street sharks are yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, uh, that's what i always wonder when i make references on a on a broadcast yeah
0: oh yeah exactly you just out of your back pocket a biker <laughs> mice from mars reference just to see who's paying oh, no. attention but this is this is us and when it comes down to casting this i think that this is going to be probably some of the most comfortable freewheeling enjoyable casting that we could possibly do so it'll be a lot of fun yeah it will And uh, it has been quite a conversation, friends. The first uh, episode of a new era of Wampa Radio, including one Eric Longquist, a.k.a. Doa. Uh, how, How do you feel after getting one under your belt here and joining the Wampa crew?
1: Oh, it's fun like I, I you know I've done a lot of podcasts for a bunch of different games over the years and it's it's always fun because you just get to sit and chat with the people that like the game as much as you do you know and and this game isn't even out yet so it's a lot of speculation but we have a lot of good reasons to be excited so uh, I am just hoping that we get to continue doing this for a long time uh, as the game delivers on uh, what we hope it will so yeah just uh, excited to do uh do a game podcast these are always great and you guys are great so thanks for inviting me it's been fun It has been fun, Uh, Charmer. Are you ready on the button there, buddy? All
0: right. Well, friends, thank you again for joining us for another episode of Wampa Radio. The best way you can support us, obviously, besides following us on Twitter at Wampa Radio, you can follow Doa. at GGDOA on Twitter, myself at WatchFlake and Charmer at that charm3r. Uh, if you want to ask us a question on Discord or there, it's the best option. And please, if you can, take a moment to just give us a five star review on whatever platform that you are listening to us. And in the wisest words of our most terrible droid, human, humanoid possible, Charmer, fire away.
1: May the force be with you.